You're supposed to say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. Welcome to the Circle of Dads podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm your host. And today I've got my good friend, Charlie Campbell, who's going to uh, enlighten us with all of his, his wisdom and experience on how to dig yourself back up from the bottom. Thank you, Ryan. Man, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing all right. Thank you for making the trip out here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. So Charlie and I met, well, 10 years ago. Yep. Ten years yesterday, I just celebrated ten years without a drink, and uh, how does that happen? You know, how do we get there from here? Uh, one or day at a time. Here. Yeah, or how do we get here from there? Yeah, who would have thought? That's, That's what you like to say. It's been good to watch you, Ryan. Yeah, man, you've well, grown a lot. Well, man, I mean, and you, you've uh, you've always been you've always been there. Yeah, you've been a big part of the sobriety. You get those guys that are like your brothers, you know, right. big brother and. And I love you, buddy, and I'm proud of everything you've done. And let's uh, let's talk about some of that stuff. Uh, sure. sure. So, uh, give me that short. Give me give everybody the short little rundown of you. Well, I've been clean and sober since uh, September the fifth, two thousand six. Uh, but that wasn't the first time I got sober. And the first time I got sober was in uh, December of '89. I was married at the time, and uh, you know my back was against the wall. I needed to do something. I agreed to go to treatment. And um, I wanted my ex-wife to stop at the store and get me a beer on my way to treatment. Seems reasonable. Yeah, she said no. And, uh, you know, I stayed clean and sober for uh, about four months after that, and I uh, began my series of relapses, a series of relapses that continued for 16 years in and out of the program. Yeah. Making promises I couldn't keep. Making promises I intended to keep, but I just couldn't keep them. Uh, constitutionally incapable it just uh you know and i wanted to and i meant a minute but uh, it never happened i continued down that ladder uh, hit the continuous bottoms and i just adjust and adapt you know i lost jobs lost the family i wouldn't i wouldn't show up to see my daughter i would be just all all skitzed out or whatever and i couldn't leave the house yeah uh, or i'd show up late or I'd show up, you know, half out of it. Um, and there's no way I wanted to be. I didn't want my daughter around somebody like that. I, uh, and then finally it got to the point where I, I didn't show up at all. And then there was another time I was supposed to show up for a court date, and I didn't show up for that. And there was another time when the ex-wife presented a piece of paper in front of me and said, Courtney wants to have the same last name as us. And uh, my ex-wife had remarried and I said, okay, no big deal. It's just a name. I signed that piece of paper, and that piece of paper, what I'd done is I'd signed a thing uh, surrendering my parental rights. Did you know that, that was, what that was, or were you just so half, or so no, far gone? No, I, didn't ha I had no idea what that was. And uh, it, uh, you know, probably you know, because I was so far gone. But then, it, and on the other hand, I didn't know where I was going to wind up. Yeah, I, I, had, I didn't. And I, uh, and I said, no big deal. It's just a name. And that didn't come to light till later. You know, it also 
didn't, I didn't have to pay child support because of that. But you know, if, you know, when you ain't working, you're drinking and drugging, you can't stay sober. You're not, you're not much help anyway. Right. So I had become a person I didn't want my daughter to be around. You know, so as I continued my journeys into relapsing and in the bottom of the barrel, then I, uh, towards the summer of 06, you know, I'd gone from sleeping on somebody's couch, working day labor, to uh, I had my own little room. But also through day labor, I'd, I'd uh, met the people that I work for today that I've been employed with for 14 years. But I also I saw that as an opportunity that I could screw up, because I'd screwed up plenty of opportunities sure. over the years. And I, uh, you know, I was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, I was 52 and a half at the time. And you know, I wasn't raised to be like that. I really wasn't. I knew I wasn't. <laughs> like I said, I, I remember sitting there, you know, broken down recliner I sat in, and I'd drink beer and stuff and holding all that money in my hand. It was nothing but coins, and my entire life savings was that. There was no paper money. And, you know, and I, I began to see those little um, moments of clarity where, you know, how did I get here, man? And I had... Uh, I was wanting uh, the desire to be sober was starting to outweigh the desire to be high and drink and drug. And then finally on September the, uh, the 5th of 2006, I'd had enough. And uh, I got back to where I was living with the people I was living with. And uh, I said, I'm done. That was it? I'm done. And uh, I haven't had a drink or a drug since then. But in the course of all that, now sobering up, and over the years prior to sobering up, and I'd always send cards and stuff for birthdays and Christmas down to my daughter. And they get sent back by the ex-wife. Uh, and uh, so as the years of sobriety started to, to, to build up, I would uh, still send cards and such. And uh, the ex-wife would send them back. And then uh, she said, you just need to leave us alone. And uh, after about four or five years of sober, being sober, I'd uh, gotten a call one day on my little flip phone, and uh, it was a voicemail, and it was from my daughter. She was about 15, and she had reached out to me. So uh, I returned that call and uh, told her how good it was to hear from her and stuff. And, it, uh, and we got on each other's Facebook page, and there was a MySpace page back then. And uh, we was, we was uh, on that. She was on that. was on that together for about three days her mom found out I got mad at her so she couldn't talk to me no more yeah so I let that sit for about a couple of years and uh, I'd periodically send a little message a little text message to that number and then uh, I think it was on her 17th birthday as I uh, sent a message down there wishing her happy birthday and uh, I got a call back from her the teacher would let her come out of class to call me back and then I uh, so then began uh a journey of uh, call, call, uh, texting at least once a week. Uh, sometimes I get a response. Sometimes I wouldn't. You know, but I stayed consistent in doing that. And then we finally met up when she was 18, and I hadn't seen her in 10 years. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and through the course of all this, I'm also developing a good relationship with the people I'm working for. I'm continuing employment. I'm showing up every day, on time, staying all day. Uh, coming back from lunch. Not stealing anything. Not stealing anything. <laughs> not pawning anything. That's right. Not doing any stupid stuff. And, uh, you know, if I do stupid stuff today, it's, it's because I did something stupid. Uh, not because I was drinking or drugging. Uh, but then we, uh, let's say we met up and, uh, you know, it was a good thing. 
uh, it can happen. Uh, it did happen. And, uh, you know, we don't, we, our relationship today is basically, you know, it's a, she's 24 now, and uh, it's through text messaging. You know, it's on Facebook. She's busy and stuff like that, but uh, she does know that she can call or text me anytime. You know, and through, uh, and through being sober, clean and sober, you know, I've been able to do a lot of things. Save money. Buy a car. Buy a truck, that's right. Yeah. I have no payments. You know, I got into back into doing triathlons and running and things like that and had a total, you know, shift from being totally self-destructive to being uh, living healthy. And you used to do uh, triathlons whenever you were, you were high, right? Yes. You'd bang a little dope and go get to the finish line or go to the starting line. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, gosh. I can remember Cowtown Classic bike riding. I did the 100K. You know, the example of the insanity, we, can, we cannot not do this dope, is I'm over there snorting methamphetamine and getting on the bicycle and riding 100K. And, uh, you know, and I'm wondering why I'm cramping towards mile, mile 55, uh, sweating my butt off. But the insanity of that, and then doing some a few triathlons back. This is all back in the eighties, late eighties. You know, President's Triathlon over in Los Colinas. Doing that high on methamphetamine, going down to Jefferson, Texas. Uh, God, doing one down there. You know, another example of the insanity. Uh, could not not do it. You know, and it's a wonder I just didn't have a heart attack and kill over. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's it's like you're just hanging on to any kind of uh, normalcy, any kind of reality, uh, just not being a junkie. And you don't even—I don't even know. Well, I—I I mean, I do remember when I was looking at myself, going, "You're a fucking junkie, man." You know. But there's that point in the beginning. We'll call it the honeymoon phase right. of your drug use, to where everything's manageable. You're just having a good time, and then that quickly spirals down. And then it's just a complete shit show. Absolutely. You talk about, um, you know, not like not calling and then not showing up and then missing court dates and all that. And even though that wasn't how you were raised, you know, um, my dad wasn't around. He, he certainly wasn't around emotionally and it was intermittent when he was around, you know, I mean, he would, he would kind of show up for a couple of years and, and then something would happen and he'd disappear, but he was always drunk. That was his thing. He didn't use drugs. He was, he was one of those guys that, um, you know, any kind of drug use or smoking weed or anything like that. And those guys were just, just losers, you know, but he's sitting there pounding down 24 a night. He's got a five gallon bucket as an ottoman, no money, nothing, you know? And, um, whenever we'd go over there, he just, talk trash about our mom and tell us how shitty we were basically. But even knowing all that, whenever Abby was born, I didn't want to be anything like him. I wanted to be anything but like him. So as my drinking progressed and I could no longer keep it under control, um, I'd lost that power of choice. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you no longer have the choice. People say that, um, I will, I will hear people claim that, that alcoholism and addiction and things like that are a choice. It's a matter of willpower, and that's complete horseshit. You and I both know that. Correct. 
no human power alone could sober me up. I know that because if that were true, I would have been sober the day my daughter was born. Correct. If loving her was enough to get me sober, I'd have been sober the day she was born. Absolutely. And I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that until well into sobriety. I just knew that I was a piece of shit in my own, you know, I was just like my dad. So as, as the ex and I continue to have problems and I'm kicked out again and Abby's young and she would bring her over to my apartment and because uh, I didn't have a car. I drove a company truck and it was a single cab and Abby couldn't ride in it, you know, and couldn't put a car seat in it. And she'd come over and drop Abby off. I guess she was doing that to make sure everything was cool before she dropped Abby off. And I don't blame her. And so as I wasn't going to drink while Abby was there. And then it turned into, I'm not going to drink until her mom leaves. Or I'm not going to drink until um, she's in bed. And then it's, I'm not going to drink until she's out of the bath. And then I'm not going to drink until her mom leaves. And then it turned into, I just wouldn't fucking show up. I'd call with some excuse you know, from a patio of some bullshit bar on the way home from work. Cause I stopped to have a drink and a, one drink turned into 20. And, you know, it was at that point, it was, it was th- the thought of being just like my father was way less uncomfortable than the thought of not drinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what I did. I mean, that's something I'm not proud of at all, but it's, it's something you can rally from. You know, you can make those bad choices. And I think the culture we live in now, you know, dads are, are attacked. And um, if, if the relationship doesn't work out nine times out of ten, you're, you're, you end up paying child support and rarely getting to see your kid. Well, that's bullshit, you know. Um, and we, we were raised under that, that idea because that's how it was with my dad. Um, and so I, I just, <clears throat> I thought that that was just it, you know, and, and I didn't realize that, um, that I could rally, that I could come back from that. So once I got sober, it, it all just, you know, I started on that path back to rebuilding our relationship because when I got sober, I, I'd actually moved back, you know, her and I had reconciled. And I, and I played it cool for a couple of weeks. And then when I saw that everything was, was cool, you know, I started openly mixing the vodka drinks in front of her that I hid in the freezer and everything was fine. She didn't say anything. So I'm just going to pour this and we're cool. Right. She didn't say shit. And the next thing you know, man, it's back, it's back to the races. I remember my last drink was during the Super Bowl of 2009. Mm. And today is the Super Bowl, too. Mm-hmm. And I went to my buddy's bar, and I told my ex, I said, hey, you know, and everything was pretty cool around the house. Like, we just living our own simple little life, trying our best and trying to do your thing, you know. Yeah. And, and I said, hey, I'm going to go down to Cody's place, and I'm going to have a drink, hang out for a few minutes, eat a hot dog, and come back. And she gave me that look like, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Needless to say, I woke up in jail the next morning (laughs) with a vague recollection of what had happened. And I knew that by the look of my wristband, I wasn't getting out. (laughs) They weren't just going to let me out after everything settled down. So I had to get bonded out. And when I got bonded out, 
I didn't have a house to go to. And so I had to, I had to kind of, fortunately I had already started, I was already back in the dad game by that time, mm -hmm. but I had to fight my way into getting the possession schedule and the relationship that I do with my daughter today. And I, ha I still have to fight every day to do that. You know, it's still hard to get her on the phone and see her and things like that because she doesn't have a cell phone. Uh. But it's um, conceding to that and saying, oh, man, shit, this is just how it is. You know, blaming her, blaming society, blaming the situation. Or even if, you're, if, if you've got the, you know, enough insight to blame yourself, regardless, it's still chasing after those kids mm -hmm. so that you can rebuild, repair, or just, just um, stay a part of their life. Even if it is through text message and Facebook, I mean, at least knowing that her dad is chasing after her. You did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when in your fog and man, I, I remember what it feels like to be a junkie. You know, it's like, oh, shit, I don't have to pay child support. That's good. But you don't think about the whole big picture. And because you're so selfish and self-centered and, and driven by fear and, and that you don't see how that can affect your child. You, you can almost convince yourself that they're better off, but they're not. Right. And thank God that, that through, throughout that you started chasing mm -hmm. her back and climbing back up that mountain. Um, Cause I saw a lot of that. Yes, you did. Yeah. yeah. I remember having conversations about this eight years ago. Right. Yeah. And it, and you'd go out there and like watch her from the stands and stuff like that. Right. Or you'd have to and, go. Yeah. One time I, uh, when I'd follow her and, uh, I knew that she rode, rode horses, she rides horses and, uh, they were being this parade down in Italy, Texas. And I drove down to Italy, Texas, and I was standing there on the side. You know, Italy, Texas, a little bit of a town. So I'm standing there on, on, on the main street where the parade's going to be, and uh, they come riding down the street. She was in, in the front with a flag or whatever on her horse. And that's when I, I, that's when I, she come up on me, that's when I hollered at her, saying, Courtney, it's Papa. And uh, so she, she, she acknowledged that and stuff, and that was uh, to let her know that I was there. Now, afterwards, when the parade was done, I did not go over to where she was. I thought that would not be appropriate to do at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make her uncomfortable. I simply wanted to let her know that I was there. You know, um, I forget how maybe I was a few years sober by that time. Um, and then I would, uh, the first time I got a picture of her was my boss had been searching the Internet and uh, I found a photo of her on the Internet. And uh, and then one year I bought the, the yearbook, the school yearbook. I purchased one uh, to have her picture there. Um, and I remember watching, uh, there was a video feed of the graduation from high school. Uh, another time I sent five, I had $500 and I sent it to the horse coach trainer person to put towards her lessons. And uh, <laughs> I got a call back and, uh, from the lady after a week or two or whatever and tell me that Courtney's mom threw a fit and that uh, just send me that money back. And uh, and there was one time I got a big envelope back from the ex-wife for the, all the cards and the money I'd been sending down there. Jesus. But yeah, it, uh, it uh, took a little while to rebuild. But you know, there was no point, you know, we think, oh, I've been cleaning this over 30 days, look, I'm doing great. Well, that's just all a bunch of BS, you know. 
You know, when you got, you know, three years of sobriety behind you, when you got five years of sobriety behind you, it took, you know, it took a while. You know, my, what, what's been my, my, my routine? My routine was to get sober and relapse, mm-hmm. get sober and relapse. Her mother hung in there as long as she could hang in there. And finally she said, okay, I can't take this no more. Do y'all, do y'all have any kind of relationship now? The mom? No. No. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> she don't want anything to do with me. Which I, I think it's kind of dumb in a way. You know, it's not about her and I, it's about Courtney. Yeah. Even though Courtney's 24 years old now. Why are you still mad? I'm not mad. You, you <laughs> move Get on. over it, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm almost 65 years old, and she's almost 57, 58. It's not like, like you stole her kidneys while she was sleeping and sold and them. Not, you know, and I don't want to come down here and have, have Christmas dinner with y'all. Right. You know, but at least, you know, the stay in touch about what's going on. I mean... If something happens to you, I want to know about it. And I'm sorry that, you know, I want her everything to be well. You know, she did remarry. She remarried a, a, a good guy. Uh, he raised Courtney as his daughter. Yeah. That's, that's who she called uh, daddy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to be okay with that because I own that. I created that. I created that. You know, I have a lot of responsibility in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, do- my ex-wife did exactly what she thought was the right thing to do. She was an educated professional. She wasn't stupid. Uh, uh, she did the right thing at the time, based upon my behavior and my pattern, you know, uh, my history. So, uh, uh, and they had a little boy and a little girl together. So Courtney was able to be raised in a, in a family environment where she had cousins, uh, brother and sister, aunts and uncles, things like that. Whereas in my family, um, they were all gone. I didn't have a big family at all. So that was good for Courtney. It was good. So there was, there was a lot of positives. Because uh, uh, I know that, that can go south too, you know. The ex, the ex remarries somebody and they're, they're, they're messed up and it just continues the cycle. But fortunately, that didn't happen in, in this situation for Courtney. And that's, I mean, that's good that you can look at it like that. You know, I, I've, uh, I've experienced a, a lot of guys that are so jaded and pissed off at their ex that they can't they can't see past that and and even even the ex you know being pissed off uh, and that all that does is just muddy the water you know i mean it, it for you to be able to see your part is huge because that allows you some freedom to be able to to grow to heal yourself to forgive yourself or own it and 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 move on because if you don't own it if you can't look at it like that and say, man, you know, this is my shit and do your inventory on it, see what your part is, then, then you're constantly going to be walking around with the resentment towards that ex. Right. Instead of, instead of looking past that and just focusing on being there for your daughter. Right. Yeah. I, I have no resentment against my ex at all whatsoever. Uh, it's unfortunate that she can carry so much still resentment towards me. Uh, I mean, on one hand, I don't blame her, but on the other hand, it's, uh, I mean, it's just what it is. What it is. Yeah, you know, you can't change that. So, uh, uh, well, so while you were doing this whole process, you went from uh, uh, you managed to go from the dope man to the Iron Man. Yes, I did. So, <laughs> so while you were out there trying to um, trying to stay sober, right. trying to stay clean, and instead of just sitting around feeling sorry for yourself because things didn't work out with with your family and with your daughter and you you rebuilt right. and one of those things you did that i was always pretty impressed with was i mean you completed a couple iron mans 
Five. Five. I'm sorry. Five. Five. <laughs> and how old were you when you completed your first one? Uh, I was 59. Yeah. Uh, 2013, Ironman, Texas. I'd, uh, you know, I used to do triathlons back in the late 80s. I raced dirt bikes prior to that all over the state of Texas. And that's what got me into uh, endurance training, fitness, running, lifting weights, doing stuff like that. And I'd gone out and watched my first triathlon out at Lake Benbrook. A friend of mine was doing it. This was in the 80s. I said, I'm going to do this. And uh, so then I learned how, you know, sw- I knew how to swim. Anyway, so I, uh, you know, I engaged in those activities for about five years in the late 80s. Uh, but, you know, I was still drinking beer and smoking weed, uh, living those two different lives. But they had not became to the point where they caused a problem. I keep them separate. Mm-hmm. Drink beer, smoke weed, no big deal. Uh, and then, uh, but then, of course, we started mixing a little methamphetamine in there with that. And uh, I kind of threw a little, <laughs> threw everything kind of sideways. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, it, uh, you know, then, of course, I gave all that up to, to drink and drug. Uh, but, yeah, after I sobered up, I, uh, you know, I, I slapped on 20 pounds uh, in the first four months of sobriety. You know, getting off the booger sugar will do that to you. <laughs> That's right. I'm <laughs> like going to Westside Cafe. To and going to Starbucks and, and, yeah. Salisbury steak. Yeah, just steak just give me the bacon. sugar. And uh, Coca-Colas and French fries and hamburgers and, and this and that. And I... Uh, I, I knew how to eat well, and I changed, uh, cut out all the sodas and stuff, and, and cut out all the fried foods, and you know, dropped 10, 15 pounds right off. I, uh, but I also started, after five years of sobriety, and, and eating healthy, I uh, started looking around, and I thought, man, I'm going to run me a 5K. And uh, I used to be able to run pretty fast, and uh, I, I think I ran my first 5K back in August of '09. And, uh, of course, you know, being a good addict that I am, I uh, started running all the races and uh, got, you know, all involved in that. And uh, then I started thinking, I might want to do another triathlon. My boss has a pool in the backyard. I thought, I might have to get in that pool and start swimming. And then I bought me another nice bicycle. And uh, before you know it, in 2010, I'm doing my um, first triathlon back uh, out at Joe Pool Lake. I remember seeing your truck, that $500 Chevy, <laughs> that, that white square body long bed. What year was that? 87? 1986. An 86, and then it's got a $4,500 tri in the back. Carbon fiber tri in the back. Yeah. Right. And I, uh, you know, I did that first triathlon back, and that was my first open water swim in 20 years. And you know, I placed third place in the 55 to 59 age group, and... Uh, and it was on, so I trained the, through the winter and stuff. And and uh, uh, 2011, I did several Olympic distance, and I did my first half Ironman distance down in Austin in 2011. And then the following year, I did uh, four half Ironmans, uh, a couple of other races. And I said, I think I'm going to do me one of them Ironmans. And uh, I signed up for Ironman Texas for 2013. And uh, as soon as I was done. That, that after 13 hours and 15 minutes of, of forward motion, I, went, I said, I want to do this again. And uh, so I looked. And uh, I came back the following year and did it again at, at the age of 60. And, uh, and then I did another one in uh, Arizona in 2015. And then I, uh, I don't think I did one. I didn't do one in 16 and 17. 
And then I did, uh, I kind of got burnt out on that. And then uh, 2018 rolled around and uh, getting over my knee hurting. And I thought, okay, let me do some half Ironman. And then I made doing Ironman Louisville. And sure enough, I signed up for Ironman Louisville. Went up there uh, October of 2018 with my friend Ron and uh, finished that thing. It was cold. It was raining. Uh, but you know how we are. We like to tough, We like to suffer. I like to suffer a little bit. And, uh, you know, I finished it uh, and had, had, a, had a decent time at it. So this year I turned 65 here in about four weeks. And I'm aging up to the 65 to 69 age group. So I got my sights set on doing a... A few half Ironmans and um, maybe another Ironman. Oh. You nailed it, though. We like to suffer. Oh, we're good at suffering. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah t- I can take more than you can take. That's right. I can suffer. <laughs> These people. <laughs> I'm, I might not be as skilled as athletic or as athletic as you are, but I could sit in this shit for a long time. <laughs> we, we, we got out on the, on, the, on the bike there. You know, it's 45 degrees. It's raining. And... Uh, I've got to ride out in the, in, in the country in Louisville, 112 miles, and I'm soaking wet, a mile and a half from transition, and uh, I had a blast. These people were just people were over in the, at the aid stations in their little space blankets and stuff, and I'm like, let's go, man, and uh, I would just draw their energy, and uh, I even I even caught and passed my buddy Ron. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, it did get it did get tough on the run. But you know, a lot of people quit and stuff. But you know how we are. We'll we'll hang in there to the damn very end. I was the last man on the mountain for the Leadville. That's right, Leadville. That's right. Yeah, you went to Leadville. That's right. The mountain bike. It was my first mountain bike race ever. <laughs> I remember you asking me about that? <laughs> I said you need to do some hills. Man, and, well, I did Burton Hill. <laughs> it takes like 90 seconds. <laughs> right. And it's at, what, 700 feet? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, 700 to 800. <laughs> and I did, uh, you know, I was following the CrossFit Endurance Program, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's just a general program. And I was putting as many miles as I could on my bike, but I never experienced anything like that. And I was 205 pounds. <laughs> That's a lot of muscle, man. <laughs> All of that mountain at 9,000, 10,000 feet. Fuck, I'd never had cramps like that before. Like, my calves are cramping up, and, and I'm like, holy shit. And I go to unclip, and some dude behind me is like, no, don't do that. And as soon as I touched the ground, I, I just turned into a pretzel. It was it was a trip, man. And so I was barely hitting each, each um, cutoff. Right. And then um, I think it's the Columbine climb. That's the, it's like 10 miles up, 10 miles down, or five miles up, five. It's the halfway point at the top of it. That's right. And so when I started, you know, there was thousands of people down there and they had all the crews and everybody and I was getting my stuff and I, I headed up there and then I was with this pack of people and uh, one dude was from Texas and, you know, you're just kind of chatting as you're going on this long climb and someone we had passed somebody and they were like, Hey, the cutoff's done. Like, like you might as well not even go to the top because you're done. You're done. And so, um, these people started peeling off and I was like, fuck you, man, I'm going like, I started this deal. I'm going, I don't care. (laughs) So man, I went up there and I got to the top and, you know, I've seen some pretty great views before, but that one earning that, whether it was being able to finish or not, I mean, 
but not quitting and going up there, that was, that was a pretty awesome feeling. And then I got to ride that whole downhill stretch by myself, which was really badass. And so I get to the bottom and it was Joey, Abby and Rooster sitting there waiting for me. And that, that was it. It was just a barren field. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I'm going to finish it. I'm just going to do it. I'll meet y'all in town. I know how to get back. And so they said, all right. So I, I kept riding and I think another 2.2 miles away, there was a dam crossing. And there's this little old lady and her husband that run that checkpoint and I couldn't, they wouldn't let me back across because, you know, I mean, the roads had been opened and she's like, no, you ain't doing it. I said, what if I swim across? She's like, oh, honey, no, 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 no. you're done. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> by that, by that time, you know, I was convinced I was, I was in it. I wanted to at least finish on my own. Right. So that was a, that was a kick in the balls, but I didn't quit. Correct. You, 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 but you also had to get into some acceptance that this is as far as I can go. This is as far as they're going to let me go. I do remember going up that hill when everybody was peeling off and that, that one old boy from Texas, he was like, well, fuck it. I'm out. And I was so disappointed. It's like, that's how you're going to represent the state, huh? <laughs> Take that fucking Jersey off. <laughs> well, you know, last, uh, what was it? What year? 2017. I went to, uh, been a couple of my friends and sucked me into a lot of these crazy things I do. Uh, sucked me into doing the Georgia death race in the northern uh, mountains of Georgia. And we'd gone out there and... A trail run? Yeah, it's a trail run. It's a point-to-point -point trail run, 74 miles long, 20,000 feet of elevation gain. Oh, is that all? <laughs> so, so I, I'd, we did the Snowdrop 55-hour run at the end of December of uh, 2016. Uh, uh, to raise money for pediatric cancer uh, and kind of get a feel for being up and running for 24 hours. Well, I made it 56 miles. I made it 40 miles. I said, I got to take a nap. I got to lay down a minute. Everything's hurting. I'm feeling like crap. I laid down for an hour, got back up. I went another 16 miles. My knee was killing me and stuff. And I said, I'm done. I've had enough. So I, uh, I'd come back to town uh, and, uh, and I got real sick. I uh, sick for about three months, well, three weeks, I mean, I'm sorry. Had a fever for about 11 days, and that just took all the fight out of me. Because my plan was to go out there to the Georgia death race to be the oldest finisher. And uh, it, uh, <laughs> you know, it didn't happen. Uh, anyway, as, as I got feeling better and started doing a little bit of uh, trying to regain some fitness, I um, did a lot of trail, doing some trail running and stuff. My goal was to simply go out there and sport them, Go the first 13 miles to the cruise station and get picked up there. I started the race that morning at 5 a.m. I was the last one out of the park because I had to stop and go to the bathroom there in the, the, the campground. And, uh, and it's pitch black. I right, got my headlamp on, mountains of Georgia, uh, the end of March, and I uh, figured I'd catch somebody and have somebody to be with. I was with the damn sweepers. The two guys that were sweeping the trail were right with me, pulling down all the ribbon. I, about about a half a mile into that thing at the start, I said, Charlie, you got no business being out here. And I, uh, so I continued on, but I also knew from having gone out there in November and pre-running the trail, I knew there wasn't an, there was no place to, once you get in on that trail, this is the Coosa Backcountry Trail up to Duncan Ridge Trail there. 
out of Vogel State Park in northern Georgia. It's a beautiful area, but you're back here in the mountains. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised me to see some uh, whatever back here, Sasquatch or something back in there. <laughs> you know, it's 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 dark. The wind's blowing. The trees are rustling. You're on this trail, and uh, so finally, I get this. You're pretty jumpy, anyways. <laughs> 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 you know, you start thinking banjos and crap back in here, uh, and I had uh, I knew that when I got to the there's going to be an, at, at the eight mile mark there's going to be an aid station. So the sweepers tell me, you know, they said, "Hey Charlie, you don't have far to go. The aid station's just a quarter mile up." And I told them, "You better not be lying to me." Because uh, when I got to the aid station and they said, you got a few more minutes, you got a few minutes, come on. I said, no, I'm going to sit right here. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Now, the thing was that I went out there to support the people, my friends. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my goal to make it to the 13 mile mark evaporated. I said, I got no business being out here. I had no business being out there. Uh, but, uh, and I was okay with that. You know, I've had to, uh, you know, and then I, I had to had to bail on the on the 55 hour run because I simply just couldn't go no further. You know, there's a point to suffering, and are you really going to hurt yourself, be a danger? You know, so was that ego? Ego and pride will kill us. You know, it'll, it will make us do uh, stupid things. So I'm trying to be smarter now as I've gotten older. There's a, you know, because I remember when you first started training, there was like no rest days. You were training running riding every fucking day hard hard yeah every day was every day was was, was had to be a pr and you were and you were um battling injury after injury oh, Knee, yeah. knees achilles yeah achilles too and and that i mean that like that wears you down quick especially at, at your age i mean it's just thank it, you yeah <laughs> you do all that meth and shit i mean that 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 eats your body up you know absolutely but it's 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 good that you got with the right people to where they reeled you in. Well, right. You know, and, and through the course, you know, not only do I have a series of friends, both in recovery, but I've also been able to develop a whole line of friends, uh, a group of friends uh, outside recovery. that are good, um, uh, good, solid people. Yeah. Uh, that that do the do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Because they're just good people. <laughs> they're just they're, they're not naturally. They're not junkies. They're, they're, no, they just do it naturally. I mean, you know, they have one or two drinks, and that's all they have, and you know, they pay their bills and this and that, and they, on time, on time. Yeah. And I uh, so and then and then within that community of endurance athletes, there's also a community of people who are in recovery. Uh, there again, there's a high percentage of people in endurance sports that are also in recovery. I think that comes back to we like to suffer. Yeah. Uh, and, and there is a whole other community of those. And, and, through, um, and so I, I call myself Sober Iron Man, and I have it on my tri-jersey, tri uh, tri-top. And uh, that's kind of what I'm known as, Sober Iron Man. Uh, I coined that from a guy named uh, Todd Crandall, who is uh, a Sober Ultraman. Uh, who is up in, out of Ohio, who runs a recovery uh, program called Racing for Recovery. Uh, and I got to meet him at Ironman Texas uh, 2014, I think it was. Okay. Uh, How was that experience? Uh, well, it was good. It was good. Absolutely was. It was good. Cause I, he also has a book called uh, Addict Ironman, which is a, a good read about his story. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of stories out there. Uh you know, mine's mine's mine, but they're all alike, but they're all different. What's his name? Todd Crandall. 
There's a guy named Charlie. Was it Charlie Ingle? That Charlie Ingle ran ran the Sahara to beat drug addiction. Correct. Yeah, he also was in prison for I think mortgage fraud or something. I got to meet Charlie Ingle on the um, uh, a couple years ago. They did a race a run a, a run across the United States. Him about uh, him and David Clark and Kendrick Corbett um, and a couple of other people. So I got to go out and meet them out in uh, Parker County one night as they was making their journey across the United States. Yeah, and I got to, to talk to visit with Charlie Engel. I, I didn't know who, who he was, and I went home and Googled him. Oh yeah, I went damn. <laughs> but yeah, he's done a, a tre- tremendous athlete with a with a, um, awesome story of recovery. Yeah. But now he's in prison for mortgage? No, 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 no. He had been. Oh, okay. He had been. Oh, no. Before that. Yeah, they're all solid in their recovery. Absolutely they are. Yeah, yeah. Because we know some guys like that. Like, they got sober and started. Yeah. They got into recovery. Right, yeah. Talking clean and living dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, almost as legal now. Yeah. Uh, Pull me over. I dare you. Yeah, that time I got pulled over and, and the cop asked me for my license. I said I got it right here, and I asked him, "Do you want to see you want to see my insurance too? Don't you?" And he kind of looked at me funny because <laughs> I got it. Because I got it. It's That's legit. Right. I got it right here, man. All my tires match too. Yeah, all my tires match. I do live at that address. There's not a screwdriver in the shaft of this tr- in the in the keyhole. Legal, brother. <laughs> not even on paper. It's uh, it's nice to roll clean today. Yeah. It's nice not to have to look over my shoulder. It's nice to not see that second police car pull up, man. Oh. You know you're going to jail now. Yeah, fuck. I'm going to jail. Why is there a record? Yeah, man, getting your car out of impound. I don't have to do that today. Today, uh, you know, when I buy gas, I fill the tank up. I've done that for the last, uh, well, I didn't have a a vehicle for the first nine months of sobriety. Uh, I walked and rode the bus. I don't. Uh, I don't think people understand how. I mean, that's that's a whole different. That's that's when you're that's when you're broke. You're poor when you just it's it's a it's a quarter tank at a time, an eighth tank at a time. It, 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 well, you know, I, I don't want to spend no more money on gas than I need to because I got to go to the house. You know, I got to go to the Dove House or something like that. Or I got to buy a quart of beer or something like that. I got it. I just I got to count my change. I got to make sure I'm on a budget. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm smart. <laughs> God. So, so it was uh it was pretty insane, man. Pretty freaking insane. You know, we all um you know, I say I'm grateful today that I don't have to do the things I once had to do. That today, uh, you know, the bills were paid, I show up to work every day, I don't leave early, I don't call in sick for just crap. Um you know, it's um, it, it's truly a, the only way to live. I cannot imagine today changing how I feel from the neck up. I can't imagine it. Why would you want to do that? I and mean, that's all I used to live to do. That's well, all I live to do. Well, you got to get comfortable in your own skin. You got to deal with all that shit. Yeah. I mean, because that's that's for me. I mean, I was there's a lot of stuff that I was yeah. I was hiding from. I was covering up. Right. Yeah. So. To, to finish this thing off, you had mentioned earlier while we were talking that you went down to Princeton, Texas? Yes. And so what would you do down there? Well, my daughter, usually every year I'll drive up to wherever she's working, and I'll go see her right before Christmas, give her a little money, you know. And uh, I usually give her 100 bucks. And uh, 
Uh, do you want me to tell you about the Jeep? You want me to tell you that? No, 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 no. no. I was just the fact that you went and saw your daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went to Princeton, Princeton Texas. It's up outside of, um, and it's near Lake Avon. And um, yeah, I usually always do that. Uh, I go up and see her. It's um, all um, so those years of chasing her. Chasing her is paying off. Well, it is. I'm. I. Well, you know. I've also been kind of, kind of bad in not doing the texting once a week like I had been. Um, I texted her the other day, and I haven't heard anything back from her. Sure. But you know, that's that. She knows that I'm thinking of her. That's right. the thing. And other guys are in this situation. If you're at the beginning of this whole ordeal and journey, you got to hang in there, and you got to be consistent. You know, it's um. First thing you got to do is get clean and sober. That's the first thing. Then you got to have a, a pattern of being, a consistent pattern of being clean and sober before any of this stuff can even begin to change. Yeah. If you're not staying consistent, and then once you begin that that being, texting or however your journey is to reconnect with your your your, your son, your daughter, whatever, you just got to be consistent. In it. And you're gonna take some licks. And you're going to take some licks. And just because you don't hear her back doesn't mean nothing. Or just because it's hard or just because it, she says, it, I fucking hate you or why'd you leave me or whatever. I mean, you just got to keep going. You've got to keep plugging away with it uh, and be consistent and don't expect a miracle at 37 days of sobriety. It's not going to happen. Yeah. They don't know you, you know. It, it, you know, it, when I was at 37 days of sobriety this last time, I mean, what was different it was different it was different for me i'd gotten th- 30 days 37 days however many t- and that was your miracle and that was the only one you get it was, today it was, it was different <laughs> but i couldn't promise them they didn't know it was going to be different they didn't know it was different but I, it was different i had a sponsor tell me my sponsor told me a story one time he was uh he was 60 days sober mm-hmm. and and he had told i think he told his ex that he um he was going to get a year or something like that. Or I can't, I can't even remember what it was or how it came up. And he, and he was pissed off that the person would not believe him that he was going to make it a year being sober. And he's, he's ranting and raving to his sponsor and his sponsor says, uh, and I, if, if he's listening and I butcher this, whatever. And, uh, his sponsor says, you know how long it takes you to convince somebody that you can stay sober a year. And of course he's like, I, I have no fucking idea. How long? He says a year, man. It takes a year. That's right. That's, exactly. That's, that's how long. Because exactly. we, I mean, because we can promise some shit, and I can sell it. But absolutely. I mean, when the pavement hits the road, or when the tires hit the whatever the fuck this, what is it? When the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road. Yeah. I mean, the the proof is in your actions. One of the most one of the most profound things when I was married that my ex my ex wife said to me one day. You know, we're whatever, you know, she's going to leave or blah, blah, blah. What was going on at that moment? I remember standing there in that living room of that house over in South Benbrook and saying to her, but baby, I love you. Mm. And she stood across me as we were across the table from me right now. And I remember that arm raising up and that finger pointing right at me and goes, she said, if you love me, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. And for a, for a few seconds, I was speechless because I knew it hit me like a bullet between the eyes that she was absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you didn't have that power. Of cho- I mean, you didn't have that choice. But that they don't know that, and you uh, don't know that. It comes back to making those promises, how we talk to talk. No, I can talk to talk. <laughs> and I'll sell you on the idea. <laughs> yeah. 
like you say, actions. The follow through. Follow through in the actions, yeah. yeah. Well, man, I mean, you clearly, uh, uh, you're clearly a guy that's developed some follow through. And I'm proud that you're, that you're constantly chasing your daughter. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I'm not perfect at it by any means, by any means. But you're trying. The only thing I do perfect and I have done for the last 12, almost 12 and a half years is stay clean and sober. I haven't taken a drink or done a drug, regardless of what's going on in my life. Yeah. The only thing I do perfect. Perfect? That's the only thing I do perfect. Damn. Well, I mean, it's the only thing you got to do. You, know, you yeah. do that perfect. Well, I mean, if you're talking about just not doing it, you either do or you don't. Right. Correct. Well, man, I love you, brother. I'm love proud you, of you. Man. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Ha- happy to have you in this, in this, uh, on the show and in my life. And Appreciate it. Yeah, you too, man. You're a good example of a, of a good man. Thank you. Yeah. I try. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Circle of Dads. Uh, please check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter under The Circle of Dads. And leave us ratings and reviews and share with your friends. I'm Ryan. I'm your host. You do not have to be perfect, but you do have to be present. Love runs downhill. We chase those kids till the day we die. Bye. I just wanted to take a minute and ask something of all you wonderful people. Um, If you're enjoying this podcast and you enjoy the show, please leave us reviews, subscribe on iTunes or Apple podcast or Spotify or or whatever it is that you're listening to, whatever platform you use, please subscribe, please share us and please leave us uh, reviews and ratings. Look for us on Twitter at circle of dads, TM, check us out on Instagram and Facebook circle of dads podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to Ryan at circleofdadspodcast.com. And the second thing that I'd like to ask you is for help. This is a self-funded show. We don't have any, any advertising dollars right now. And so any little bit helps to help us cover the monthly expenses of production and, and, and being able to get our show to you. So if you'd like to become a Patreon of this, uh, of this movement, please check us out at patreon.com. We are under Circle of Dads Podcast. We can be found on PayPal, Ryan at Circle of Dads Podcast. Or if you just want to walk up to me on the street and shove some money in my pocket, that's fine too. Just don't do it in the waistband. I think it's a little awkward. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. That was really uncomfortable for me. I don't like asking people for money. We're all growing.